Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello, gardening people. Thanks for joining me again. It is so freaking hot. It's early June, but it feels like early July. And I'm kind of scared now about what August is going to feel like, but I don't know. For now, I can't worry about that. I mean, definitely out of my control, but I'm just going to enjoy how my garden looks now because in spite of this crazy heat wave that we're having, my garden still looks really good. It's nice and lush and green, and I have blackberries and tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, okra. I'm starting to get some beans now. Everything is still so nice and green right now. But it's going to take a little effort for me to keep everything alive. Um, but I'm up for it. We can do it. We can keep our gardens productive and happy and healthy. I'm very optimistic that we all can do it. Okay, so first off, I wanted to give y'all an update on my gardening efforts at work. Now, I told you about this a few weeks ago. It's been maybe, I don't know, maybe six weeks might, might be eight weeks ago, I took it upon myself and planted some tomato seedlings in the flower beds at work. I was really pleased because I kind of sort of did it without getting solid permission. Yes, Julie, you may plant tomatoes in our flower beds in the front. I just casually mentioned it one day. And when I had the opportunity, I planted some tomato seedlings out front and you know I kind of felt like the universe was you know giving me permission to do this or maybe they're enabling me because I just happened to run into the irrigation company not long after I planted those tomatoes and the guy was there to um, fix a, a broken um, head that was on the other side in a bed that I didn't have my tomatoes in, but I, you know, I chatted with him a little bit and I just said, Hey, we're putting in some new stuff. And I was wondering if you could change the uh, watering schedule, you know, it's getting hot. So he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he increased the watering time and the frequency. And I was really happy about that. And my little tomato plants were content. I was checking on them every day when I would go to work and then one day I noticed the leaves looked terrible, like a little bit yet turning yellow and starting to get crispy. And I knew exactly what had happened. They had gotten sprayed. Somebody had sprayed them with weed killer. I've seen it before. I knew what it looked like. 
and you know it was the you know people that do the landscaping the company that comes and um does the land the mowing and stuff they were out there and sprayed them and started squirting the beds for just random weeds and you know it's it's part of the contract i i know that i that that's part of their job. That's part of the agreement with the company and my company. Um, I don't agree with it. I don't like synthetic, um, herbicides. I don't use them at home, but I don't get to make the rules at work. I might act like it, but, um, that's not what it was. I mean, landscape company uses it, but you know, whatever. I had planted my tomatoes all in a row, so it was it was pretty apparent that those tomatoes were intentionally planted. I I don't know. I think maybe it might have worked because whoever um, was spraying, it seemed like they realized that um, oh yeah, this was put here on purpose because only um, the two at the end of the row. Um, they were the only ones that died and I'm thinking that they probably got a little extra, um, squirt of herbicide. Um, they were, they were definitely dead. Um, but the, the, the other ones I had out there, um, they're still alive. They don't look very good. They're kind of struggling between the heat. Um, and of course getting drenched in poison. So, I don't know, either they were terrible employees and weren't really doing their job, you know, go, go kill those weeds. And they didn't do a very good job. I don't know. I don't really care. I just know that I was a little bit mad and a little disappointed. And I, at one point when I first noticed it, I really wanted to chew somebody out, but you know, I didn't, I couldn't, um, I, I mean, they weren't, they were already gone. I didn't witness it happen, but you know, I was cool about it. At least I think I was, um, you know, what's the point in getting mad over something like that? So instead to be, you know, do something positive, I just decided to double down and I went to the nursery at lunch and luckily they still had a few tomatoes left. So I bought two replacements and took those in and then, um, I also brought in a whole bunch of sweet potato slips that I had started in my kitchen and I got those planted too. But this time I also picked up some gardening um, stakes, those little markers. And instead of writing like sweet potatoes or tomatoes on them, I wrote do not spray on them and I placed those in the ground um, next to the sweet potatoes and the tomatoes. And so, you know, my boss works, um, he splits his time between facilities and the next time that he came in, he came into my office and said, Oh, Hey, I saw your new little signs. I hope they work. <laughs> um, and so far so good. Um, the sweet potatoes are looking pretty nice. They have put on, um, some nice growth. They are looking really good. The tomatoes are struggling a little bit. I mean, they did get sprayed um, with a little bit of poison, but you know, they're going to rebound. I know, it, um, it might take a little while. They are developing kind of that healthier root system. So, um, 
I think they're going to be okay. I'm hoping that if I can keep them alive through um, the summer, we're going to get some really good growth um, and hopefully have a decent chance for fall tomatoes. Speaking of tomatoes, I am super close to having a whole ton of them because the small cherry tomato plants that I have out there are covered in little tiny tomatoes. And every day I am picking handfuls of them. And now my larger tomatoes are also starting to ripen out there. And I tr really do try to let them stay on the vine as long as I can, but I get anxious and I want to get them picked before the birds or the bugs get after them. I've already made the mistake this season of thinking, oh, this one is going to be perfect tomorrow. And then when I go out to pick it the next day and I find um, like a chunk missing out of it and little peck marks all over it and you know it's the birds I'm not sure what is up with those birds they only really want to go for my big tomatoes and not the cherry tomatoes and you know I would not mind sharing tomatoes with um, the birds because there are just so many more of the cherry tomatoes but they don't seem to have an interest in those and you know maybe that's because cherry tomatoes have a thicker skin than the bigger full-size tomatoes and I guess that makes it easier for them to peck into it's really annoying though um I don't know why do birds do that um you know maybe they like to have options they like and I've got plenty of tomato options um I just don't understand it it's probably not supposed to I'm not a bird psychologist so I don't know what goes on in the little brains but anyway um I do try to pick the full-size, regular-sized tomatoes right when they start to show just a little hint of color. And so I'll pick them and then bring them in. And I do this because tomatoes are able to continue ripening after they are picked thanks to a naturally occurring plant hormone called ethylene. Tomatoes and other produce like bananas and apples give off ethylene gas even after they are picked so it's safe to go ahead and pick tomatoes right when they start to get just a tinge of a color change you know just a hint of red or yellow depending on what kind of tomatoes you have you can pick them when they are all green but just know it's going to take a little bit longer for them to ripen so if you are having issues with bugs or birds in your backyard messing around with your tomatoes, you can definitely pick them when they aren't completely ripe and bring them inside where I hope you don't have issues with stink bugs or birds in your house. You can pick them and place them in a paper bag or like a cardboard box and just close them up so the ethylene gas can collect and this is going to help speed up ripening. The greener they are, the longer um, it will take, but it really doesn't take all that long, especially if you have like one that is more ripe in with the greener ones. 
just check on them every day because I promise you there is nothing more sad or more disgusting than forgetting about a bag of tomatoes that you were trying to ripen only to discover a wet, moldy, sad, disgusting sack of rotten tomatoes. Check on your tomatoes. Don't let them do that. If you have a favorite tomato plant this year and you would like to keep harvesting tomatoes throughout the fall, try propagating them from a cutting. It's really, really easy. Um, we will be plan- We will need to be pl- um, planning our fall gardens pretty soon. So taking a cutting is a super easy way to have um, your favorite tomato plants and getting, getting them started and planting them in your fall garden. But anyway, to do this right now, go out to your favorite tomato plant, the one that is doing really well for you this year, or maybe it's your favorite one and has the best tasting fruit, but go out there and look where the stems and the main branch meet in this V-shaped part of the uh, tomato plant. This is where the suckers grow. Suckers are just new sprouts. And a lot of times people will remove the suckers so that the plant can put its energy into fruit production instead of new growth. But you can snip off the sucker and use them to make more tomato plants. Just pinch them off, stick them in a glass of water, and in a week or so, it will start forming roots. Now, you can put suckers straight into some soil and it will will start forming roots. Um, It's just too hot right now. So just take them, put them in a glass of water because you know, the, the fine white fuzz on tomato stems, each of those little fibers has the potential to make roots and it's really cool. So if you have kids or even if you don't have kids, you can try rooting them in a glass of water because it's a really cool visual and you can talk to people about science with them. You can show them what you did. I don't know. You don't have to. Um, but it is, you know, starting rooting them in water is, um, is cool. So you should give it a try. As we start to slide into the second half of June, there is not a whole lot of variety anymore um, of things that we can plant from seed right now out in our vegetable gardens. The temperatures are just really too hot for a lot of brand new baby seedlings. And without a whole whole lot of intervention, they're going to struggle. And even um, when the temperatures are hot, like they are right now up in the uh, hundreds every day, everything is going to struggle. And it's not just the intense sun that is hard on baby plants and regular plants. It's also the higher overnight temperatures that inhibit growth. While we do, people, while we love it when the sun goes down and it cools off to like a balmy 75 degrees, it's still too warm for some plants. 
and they just don't grow well unless they have some cooler temperatures at night when daytime temperatures consistently are above 90 degrees some plants will even stop blooming but you know there are a handful of things that you can still plant from seed if you have some bare spots in your garden warm season greens okra southern peas pumpkins and you know like a, a couple others they can still be planted and they will do fine over the next couple of months they are heat loving plants and they really can take the extended daytime heat um, plus the warmer nights most plants benefit from afternoon shade but even if you um plant some of these seeds like the okra and the warm season greens etc um you know, you might consider making sure that they get some afternoon shade, at least for a little bit until they can get established. When it comes to providing shade, you, you, you have options. You can use things like that you already have, like an old white sheet or a window screen, maybe some burlap if you happen to have it. You could use a section of um, lattice. That works quite well to block, um, block some of the afternoon sun those options are good but if you want to know how much shade you're providing or you want it to look a certain way then you probably ought to consider purchasing shade cloth shade cloth is used to protect plants from too much sun and solar radiation it diffuses the light while um, providing ventilation plants that are grown with um, shade cloth, um, they tend to have um, healthier growth, larger leaves, and they grow taller. Shade cloth comes in different shade density percentages. It's, it's sold this way because different plants tolerate different amounts of sun and shade. Heat-loving plants, they don't need as much shade, so 30% shade cloth works great for tomatoes, peppers, and squash. 50% shade cloth is good for um, flowering summer plants. Shade cloth though, that is 70% or higher. Those are generally um, used more for ornamental plants, house plants that like spend their summer outside. And that percentage is just determined by like the weave. You know, if, it, if it's a looser weave, then it will be a lower percentage. The higher the percentage, the tighter the weave. Shade cloth also comes in different colors, lighter shade cloth. Um, they are gonna reflect the sun's heat. White shade cloth reduces light, but not the quality of the color wavelengths in the light spectrum. Plants use those color wavelengths for photosynthesis. The color spectrum includes all the colors of the rainbows, um, the ones that we can see, but they also include um, infrared and ultraviolet that people can't see. And plants use all these wavelengths for photosynthesis, which is the process that plants use to make their own food from carbon dioxide, water, and sunlight. Darker colored shade cloth and darker materials, they absorb the sun's heat and they act like filters and they can block out 
um, some of those color wavelengths. And, you know, depending on the placement in your garden and how much total sun your plants get during the day, you could deprive your plants of too little light, too little of some of those color wavelengths. Um, you just have to kind of test it out. I mean, they're not going to drop over and die. They, they might not um, thrive as well as if you used a lighter shade cloth. Um, it might not make a, a whole lot of difference, but something to keep in mind when you are just putting up your shade. Most plants will benefit from afternoon shade, so it's worth your time to assess the light in your garden and figure out how to get them some shade if they need it. The best part of shade structures are, um, well, it, that they aren't permanent. You can always adjust them and put them up and take them down. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our little station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plan Host Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plan Host podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and please, please, please leave a review. It's super quick. You just click on the stars. You have the opportunity to type a couple sentences if you want. This is going to help others find the show. And it lets folks know that Plow and Hose is a pretty good show. So if you've already left a review, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Well, you know, summer's brutal heat is here to stay for a while. And we're going to, con- you know, we're going to have heat waves like we're having right now. Um, and you know, that the extra high heat is challenging for planting a new garden. And, you know, the planting window has closed for most of our summer favorites, like tomatoes and peppers and corn. Well, we have another opportunity, um, to plant those in our fall garden, but right now, um, there's not, a super ton of stuff that we can plant. I mean, not, not compared to the variety of earlier, but we can still plant these heat loving crops, Southern peas, sweet potato slips, okra, cantaloupe, pumpkins, and warm season greens for central Texas. Warm season greens include amaranth, purple orange, sweet potato greens, and, um, a variety of plants that are kind of like informally called spinach. They aren't true spinaches. These are Egyptian, Malabar, Okinawa, and New Zealand spinach. All of these will grow really well for us here in Central Texas. Ornamental sweet potato vines um, are the ones that are grown for their leaves. They produce small, unremarkable tubers, but they have beautiful, colorful vines and they come in colors like lime green, red, and kind of that dark, almost black, purple leaves. I really like the lime green ones. Those are my favorites. 
both the ornamental and the garden sweet potatoes, the ones that we plant in the garden for actually harvesting sweet potatoes. Both types have edible leaves and that are pretty similar to salad spinach. The leaves are thin, but they're still kind of moist and they taste slightly bitter and just a, just kind of floral um, when you eat them raw. But you know, if you cook them, they taste just like regular spinach. You can add them to like a stir fry dish or, you know, chop them up and use them in a quiche or something. Wherever you would use spinach, you can use sweet potato leaves. They have lots of vitamins and minerals. And of course, they're going to add some fiber to your diet. Sweet potatoes are a wonderful multi-purpose crop to include in your garden. So if you don't have sweet potatoes in your garden, maybe you can consider adding some. New Zealand spinach is also very similar to regular spinach, um, but it's not a true spinach. New Zealand spinach doesn't get quite as dark green and it has small spear-shaped leaves, but it's exceptionally heat tolerant and it really doesn't take up much space. To me, it tastes green and leafy. Malabar spinach is another popular warm season green. Not only is it edible and nutritious, I think it's really beautiful too. Red Malabar spinach is especially striking because it has burgundy stems and dark glossy leaves and the flowers on it are these little tiny kind of pinkish white. They're very pale um, flowers, but they're really sweet. Malabar spinach is a vine. It requires a trellis to support, um, to support it because it grows really thick and dense. It's a, um, it, Malabar spinach loves, loves the heat. And it's actually a native to tropical Asia. It's also called Ceylon spinach. It's um, a very popular crop in um, Sri Lanka, India, and the Philippines, where they cook it all up with lots of spices and like a curry, and then they serve it um, with rice. Fresh Malabar spinach leaves are, um, they're really juicy and crisp. They are slightly sour and citrusy, and they have like a really subtle black pe pepper flavor. This succulent texture, I will tell you, is mucinogenic, and it's kind of like raw okra. It has that sliminess um, to it. So if you don't like that slime of okra, you probably aren't going to like raw Malabar spinach, but the sliminess disappears completely when it's cooked, and it actually um, holds up to cooking better than regular spinach. Amaranth is another multi-purpose plant that is considered a warm season green. There are tons of different species of amaranth. There's like 75 different named varieties. And it's one of the oldest domesticated crops. It was grown for the seeds. The seeds um, are used to make porridge and flour. Amaranth is really high in protein and 
it's gluten-free. There, amaranth um, or is also a popular bedding plant. Some these varieties are grown specifically for their really vibrant flowers, like hot pink and dark red and um, gold. They're really, really pretty. And they look great in your garden, in, in your containers. Anyway, both the ornamental and the seed crop varieties, all types of amaranth, they all have edible leaves that you can harvest and use just like spinach. Now, I got to tell you, another name for amaranth is um, pigweed. And pigweed is a very, very common allergen. So if you are allergic to pigweed pollen, you may not want to eat it fresh because it can trigger a histamine reaction. And that's how it is for me. I planted some amaranth uh, several years ago and I was just so pleased with myself. The plants look great and I was really excited to harvest some. And I went out there and I picked some um, nice leaves and I brought them in and I ate exactly one leaf and pretty instantly felt my sinuses swell up. And that was a pretty big disappointment. <laughs> I, I think I actually pulled it up the very next day. My favorite of all the warm season greens is Okinawa spinach. To me, it has the best flavor, it tastes the best, and it's pretty. Plus, it grows well for us in Central Texas, and with just a little extra mulch to insulate the roots over the winter, it can be a perennial plant for us that will come back in the spring. Being a subtropical plant, it's likes to stay warm and moist. So give it plenty of a mulch to keep it, um, keep the soil moist. And, you know, Okinawa spinach, um, will tolerate a bit of shade. Okinawa spinach really grows best with morning sun and afternoon shade. It's a really nice looking plant from above. The leaves are dark green and they're pointy and they kind of have like a somewhat serrated edge, but underneath on the underside of the leaves, the leaves are purple, vibrant purple. And the lower stems also have that same beautiful shade of purple. Okinawa spinach is also called, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Genera, G Y N U R A. Um, Anyway, Okinawa spinach is wonderful fresh. The slightly thick leaves are crisp and they have kind of a succulent texture to them, but they don't have the slime factor like Malabar spinach, which is a really good thing, at least for me. It has a neutral flavor and it reminds me of fresh garden lettuce. You can cook it if you want to. I haven't tried that, so I can't tell you how it tastes heated up, but it's really lovely fresh. You can grow Okinawa spinach in the ground and in raised beds, containers, and you can even plant it in hanging baskets. If you are growing Okinawa spinach for the leaves though, you will want to pinch out the flower heads when they start to come up. This is gonna um, help your Okinawa spinach get bushy and produce more leaves. But I think 
the flowers are pretty cool on their own. They're really cool looking. They, to me, they look very similar to a thistle, but instead of being that purpley orchid thistle color, Okinawa spinach flowers are vibrant golden orange. And I love the crazy combination of dark green, purple, and that orange. It's a really, really interesting plant. And I think it's really cool that we can also eat it. So if you have some a spot in your garden that could use some interest and it gets morning sun with afternoon shade, then try Okinawa spinach. Even if you don't plan on eating it, it's a nice plant. I really like it. Okay, this might be kind of weird, but I am partial to anything called Okinawa. I don't remember anything about it, but I was born in Okinawa, Japan. So if it's named after Okinawa, I'm into it, especially plants. Now, this year I'm growing two kinds of okra. Um, I'm growing my favorite tried and true Clemson spineless. It's always a super choice. It loves the heat and it grows really well for me and I like it. But I also decided to try growing some Okinawa pink okra. And I had found these seeds um, from a company that specializes in rare seeds. So I bought some of those. It's really hard to uh, beat Clemson spineless okra. I have grown several other varieties and I didn't think that they were so great. I mean, they weren't awful plants, but I just wasn't impressed with them enough for one reason or another to grow um, another variety regularly again. So I was a little kind of apprehensive about um, Okinawa pink. I figured it was more of like a novelty, but you know, just so that you can say that oh, I'm growing pink okra, but you know, it's called Okinawa pink. So the name sold it for me. And I got to say, so far, so good. I like it. The plants themselves um, look like a regular okra plant, but Okinawa pink okra has a bit of burgundy in the leaves. The flowers are pale pink and some of them are cream, but both of them have this burgundy eye in the center. They're, they're nice and pretty. The pods are also very striking. Once the flowers are pollinated and the pods form, the pods are red. They're kind of like burgundy, but as they start to grow, um, they fade to pink. The pods are smooth. They don't have ribs like um, regular okra. Like, you know, when you slice into regular okra, they kind of have like a pointy star shape to them. And that's because um, the points are the ribs. When you slice into Okinawa pink okra, the slices are round. The pods are thinner than regular okra and they have like a skinny pointy tip and they, to me, they look like long fingers with fancy pointy nails. In India, okra is called bindi, which also means lady fingers. Even though it is slightly different in appearance than regular okra, Okinawa pink okra, it behaves like regular okra. Well, you know, where you, the more you pick, the more 
okra you get and it grows really fast too. One day it's a small little pod and you check on it in the evening and it's practically doubled during the day. So you will want to stay on top of this kind of okra too because Okinawa pink okra gets really hard and fibrous very quickly. So pick them when they are young and tender and just like regular okra, don't forget about them because otherwise you'll have a giant one in there and you won't be able to eat it. We can plant okra, any type of okra now through early July. So if you don't have your okra seeds yet, or you got room in your garden, try some Okinawa pink okra. It tastes just like regular okra. And it's also really interesting to look at. It's pretty cool. Okay, friends. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you for joining me. I hope you have a fabulous week and try to stay cool. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.